0: So, just how big and widespread is this trend of businesses not reinvesting in the domestic economy?
1: Sure. Um, thanks. I mean, I think the, the, the numbers speak for themselves in terms of the estimate that we have of accumulated reserves, which is uh, essentially at least $1.4 trillion. And you'll see in the studies that are available on our website at www.competition.org.za uh, that Uh, We've stripped out certain terms from that proportion, and so we say at least 1.4 trillion. Now, the extent to which uh, individual companies um, may not be investing in the economy, I think varies, of course, and uh, there's obviously sector-specific dynamics as well. Um, Where in some industries, such as telecoms, firms have actually had to make expensive investments, um, given the nature of that industry, you know. Um, Whereas in others, you see this accumulation of reserves. Um, It's concerning from the perspective that, I mean, of course, firms have a, Uh, every right, and there are very legitimate reasons for why you might want to keep reserves within the company. Um, But it's concerning in that, well, I suppose the policy question would be, well, how do you unlock that 1.4 trillion rand? How do you redirect it towards investment in the domestic economy? And that's really the challenge we're trying to grapple with. Mm.
0: And that is exactly the question. Are we not, um, what optimizing policy levers to ensure that there is uh, investment by these companies here at home?
1: Sure. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's obviously some very concerning issues uh, from the perspective of companies um, that, that would maybe limit the level of investment that they would undertake. I think there's issues around economic and policy uncertainty, but also a low demand cycle, uh, which may be making firms far more cautious in terms of the investments that they make. Um, that being said, I think a lot of countries have had success with um, the use, for instance, of various uh, incentive programs around tax incentives, et cetera, to encourage investment by the private sector, even in difficult periods. Um, I think notably South is not necessarily the first country to experience uncertainty in terms of policy. The key is how quickly we can address those issues and start to invite firms to the table in terms of engaging about what kind of investments can be made. And can those investments be made? Off the back of including black suppliers into those into those into those value chains as well.
0: So, are these companies acting in concert? Is it is it an orchestrated thing that they they're not um, harvesting the money back home, or is it just purely coincidental?
1: Look, I think <laughs> that one is probably uh, well above my pay grade. But I think to give a simple answer. The argument around an investment strike implies exactly that. It implies that there's some kind of coordinated action by firms to withhold investment. Now, we certainly don't have evidence to, to to make that point that strongly, and so you'll see in our studies we don't refer to this as an investment strike. What we recognize, however, is that the ratios of uh, investment to real GDP have stagnated since about 2010, 2011, at levels of around 10%. And so we point out instead that the concern there is that if you compare us to other Uh, developing middle-income countries, uh, their rates of investment relative to GDP are far closer to 20%, and in some cases above that. And that's what should be more concerning, rather than, I suppose, finding an appropriate term for what we're observing.
0: Mm. So the the companies that are guilty of this, how much of the JSE market capitalization do they represent?
1: Sure. So I think the the estimate relates to firms that would, would fall within the top 50 of the JSE, uh, with some controls for some of the larger internationalised firms. So, uh, just to give you an example, the top 50 of the JSE essentially account for 86% of the market capitalisation. So, this is a very large representative grouping that we've looked at um, of the JSE.
0: And the black firms, how do they fit into the bigger picture of what we're talking about?
1: Sure. I think... You know, I think there's much to be said here. Um, What's notable in terms of the studies studies we've conducted is that there's still a significant absence of large listed uh, black-owned firms, owned and operated firms, right? Um, And so what we've argued is that some of the debates around, um, you know, what's the exact percentage of black ownership are perhaps not as, they're important, but perhaps not as helpful. What matters is the substance of ownership. So are black enterprises entering, being able to compete are they owned and operated by black South Africans? And I think that's where the debate should be. And so uh, to address that, we, we, t- we speak about issues around barriers to entry as well. So there's various issues relating to finance, but also various policy constraints, cost constraints, um, uh, and also strategic behavior by incumbent firms, you know, in the form of abuse of dominance or cartel conduct that essentially makes it very difficult for black firms to enter and compete in these sectors and ultimately, as you would hope, Would grow and start to compete at the highest levels of the JSE as well. So that's essentially how they fit into this picture. Um, It's also important to remember that if we're talking about investment, while the reports talk about the investment behaviour of the top fifty, for instance, um, these uh, potential black entrants into the South African economy may not be listed, but they may be potentially large firms in future that would make their own investment, and so we see investments increase in that way as well. And so it's important to consider both sides of the story. Uh, when considering both large firms but also smaller enterprises that might be able to grow if given the scope to do so.
0: Thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, Tando Vilagaz is a senior congress at the Centre for Competition Regulation.